Open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be into chapter 2 today. We're traveling through the message of Peter to the early Christians. When I look at Peter, who writes to sojourners and exiles, he's writing to us. If you've ever been a traveler away from home for a long period of time, perhaps you did it for work. You had to go from province to province, state to state, country to country. You realize the longer you're away, the more places you go as you travel, that you have to learn to travel light. There are those things that hold you back and you have to let them go. They're wonderful if you're in the comfort of your own home. But when you are out on the road, you have to take only necessities. Don't take too much. Take just enough. I don't know how many times I've traveled overseas, whether teaching at the Bible school in Russia, leading groups of pilgrims in the Holy Land. I always take too much. Sometimes I take too much purposely because I will take I will take clothes that I know I'm going to give away to students. I'm going to I've gone before to Russia and I came home with very little. They say, "Where's your computer? Where's your projector?" I gave it all away. It's gone. It's it it's the people who needed it more than I. I'm not talking about that. There are things in your lives that hold you back from your walk with Jesus, and we need to focus on the necessities of life in Christ. And Peter writes to people who are facing spiritual and uh, physical persecution, and he wants to help them to focus on the important, encouraging truths of the faith as we are sojourners, as we're pilgrims in this world to travel light. This morning we get to a passage where he's focusing on maturity. I've called this morning's message Growing Up, but before we get to that, I want to read to you a passage to, to get us thinking along the right track. It's not from Peter, it's from Paul. And the point of Paul's passage is Jesus, as it always is. In this passage, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul has been talking about all of the offices and workers and ministries in the church that God has given. You know, you may say, well, I don't have a ministry, but you should, and I think you do. God has given you a spiritual gift to use for the building up of other believers, the body of Christ. Whether you work at Kids Club or Sunday School, whether you're a prayer warrior and work the prayer chain, whether you are just a missionary in your neighborhood using the gift of hospitality, God has given you a gift and a ministry. And yet all of these ministries from the highest to the most humble, Paul starts at apostle and he works his way through the list. He says all of them have a single goal. And that's what we pick up in Ephesians chapter 4. What is the goal of all of these, whether prophet, evangelist, apostle, teacher, pastor? Paul says the goal is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature don't rush along there. That's where we should pause because that's where the natural pause is. The goal is grow the body of Christ until we reach maturity. And then Paul describes what the maturity is. We become mature. What is that? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God wants to grow you 
to be like Jesus. And he's not going to give up. No matter your age, God wants you to grow to be more like Jesus. He wants you to continue to grow. I got a wonderful visit with uh, Grandma Olive Myers this week. It's wonderful. How old is Olive now? Ninety, ninety-seven. She's getting up there. Ninety-seven. Still sharp as a tack. Wonderful to spend time with her. Always blessed to be with her. One of our one of our our senior saints. But you know, in God's eyes. Olive is just a little girl, little more than a babe in Christ. In this world, we are God's children and we have some growing to do. We look at each other and say, well, I got old years ago. You ask young people, how old is old? 30, 40 is over the hill, 50, 60. Those aren't even on the radar because those are just beyond their understanding. No, I think we can age but that doesn't mean we mature. You hear me? Getting old does not equate to maturing. Maturation. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that to grow to be more like Jesus, to mature, we have to first of all find our unity in Christ. He equates unity with maturity. I've had the, uh, I've had the misfortune to be in some church Fights over the years? Not many. I hear of terrible things that go on in churches. There's disagreements. There's always going to be misunderstandings, disagreements uh, in churches because we are sinners saved by grace. We're all different people. We have so many differences. Look around externally. We're hugely different. And we live in a culture today, Western culture, that is dividing us more and more. We have things uh, promulgated, teaching teachers in the States and other places, just demonic uh, philosophies like critical race theory that is uh, imminently racist in itself and says you should judge people only by their pigmentation. The color of their skin defines the most important things about them, things that you can't change. Rather than looking on the heart as God does, we're being divided well, any time we are divided in Christ, that speaks of the fact that we are being immature. We're not where we need to be yet. And so that's just an encouragement that maturity and unity go hand in hand. And we're going to see that this morning as I've called this Peter message, Growing Up. Peter says wonderful things that you are born again. Chapter 1 says you are born again into a living hope. Peter who walked with Jesus, saw him face to face, loved him, promised that he would never let anything bad happen to him. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I have something to do for this hurt and lost world. And Peter was a witness to all of that, a witness to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now Peter's passing on the message of Jesus that you must be born again. Physical birth will only get you through this life. God wants you to be born again spiritually to have eternal life in Christ. So Peter, in this passage, he's reflecting on chapter 1. Through this whole chapter, he's been talking about the beauty, the power, the wonder of our salvation, encouraging these pilgrim Christians in what modern day today is northern Turkey. 
encouraging them in the face of persecution, feeling that they have no home in this world, that they are home in Jesus. In Sunday school this morning, I always promote Sunday school, we have a wonderful lesson from Max Licato, and he said, in the storms of life, we're at home when we're in Christ. In Christ, we are at home. We know Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, we look forward to the city of God, our eternal home. But in Christ, in the family of God, you're at home. Put down your roots in Jesus. Well, growing up in Christ, maturing, as the graphic indicates, is learning to walk with Jesus, learning to be more like Jesus in our attitudes and our actions. And we share a lot of commonalities in this. And Peter writes to us Christians saying, here's what you have in common, and this will all mature you and grow you up. As we begin today in First uh, Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 22. The first point Peter draws for us is that we share together in our unity the same love. We all have one love. We share the same love with one another, the love that God gives us. We love God, and our love will take us so far, but boy, we need God's love. We need God's perfect love. We share the same love. Peter says, starting in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1. For you have been born again, not with perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living... And No, that's verse 23. Sorry about that, Lance. You had the right verse on the screen. Verse 22, a little higher up, says, Now that you have, been, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, this was his previous passage, so that you have sincere love for your brothers... Love one another deeply from the heart. There's two types of love. The Greek words of love we often talk about. The love for our brothers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need that love, that Philadelphia, that fellowship love. Though we're different, this speaks of our commonalities. We have a lot of things in common, important things as Christians. And we focus on that. We gather together, we love to be together, to build one another up, to console one another in our losses, to cheer one another and to encourage one another and to serve one another with the love of Jesus. This is Philadelphia love. But Peter goes on. Oh, he experienced that Philadelphia love with those 12 ordinary men. Remember that series of messages? We looked at those those incredibly different personalities and backgrounds of those apostles, Jesus called them together and welded them into a single group of missionaries, his sent ones, the apostles. Peter experienced that team spirit, that Philadelphia love. But then he saw how Jesus took it to a whole different level. How Jesus modeled agape love, God's love. And that love of all things is sacrificial. It's a love that never thinks of itself first. It always puts the well-being of the other first perfectly. So Peter says of that love, love one another deeply from the heart. Well, with all that's going on in the world, it seems the Winter Olympics in Beijing, many of us aren't even paying attention. And that's, I feel sorry for those Olympians, many of them from around the world who have worked for years in their lives to go up on that biggest of stages. This word Peter uses for how we should love one another 
is an Olympic word. It's a word that speaks of the, the training and the effort of an Olympic athlete. Because remember, the Olympics were still going on when Peter wrote this. The original Olympics at Olympia in Greece. And Paul and Peter, they use these athletic words, these metaphors for our life. Peter says the exertion, the strength, the struggle of an Olympic athlete to win the race. He says this is the effort we need to be putting into loving one another with Jesus' love. Putting their needs first. Forgetting ourselves and loving them first and foremost. Friends, it's this sacrificial agape love that the Apostle Paul, or Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, wrote about in 1 John chapter 4. John says in verse 10, This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love God one another the love of jesus peter and john both saw it jesus who poured himself out for us who gave his life to the cruel cross as john stood at the foot of that cross jesus asked him to take care of his mother as he is the eldest son in the family could no longer fulfill that function at that point his his brothers were not yet followers of him. They hadn't put their faith in their big brother Jesus. It would be so hard as a younger brother to do that. And John fulfilled that. This John says we need to love one another in the same way as Jesus loved us. Far beyond the Philadelphia of the fellowship meal of the potluck, this is the middle of the night phone call love. And somebody is heartbroken. Somebody is in need. Somebody is in trouble. And you have to put your life on hold to help them. Agape love. That's what Jesus did for us. Ancient wisdom, I love it. I don't want to reinvent the wheel when people before us, people of faith, have said it so well. I've quoted him many times, but St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, ministered in North Africa in the 300s and died about 430 A.D. Augustine said this of love. He said, what does love look like? It has hands to help others. It has feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. This is what love looks like. It's what Jesus looked like. And as we grow up in Christ, Peter says we need to love with his love. One of those things we share as we mature as believers is we share the same love. Not only that, but as Peter has touched on, one of the themes of his book is being born again. The fact is, we do share the same birth. We're in the same family. We're God's children. Though we're adopted into the family of God, to do that, we need a spiritual birth. We who are dead spiritually, born alive physically, mentally, emotionally, but dead spiritually, we need to be alive to know Christ. Share the same birth 
to be born again. This, as I started to read earlier, is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter says in growing up, we're born again. We share the same birth. He quotes from Isaiah that powerful verse that shows how human life is transitory. It's here today, gone tomorrow. In the bigger scheme of things, it's less than a blink of an eye. If you've traveled to those older parts of the world, we live in what the rest of the world calls the new world. Though we know there were peoples here from ancient times crossing land bridges from Siberia and settling indigenous people, they're newcomers as well. People came from the east. Our indigenous people have Asian roots. People came from the west. There are European settlers. But this is the newer part of the world. We don't have many of the ancient structures like the rest of the world. If you compare, for instance, the pyramids in Mexico with the pyramids of Egypt, the pyramids of Mexico, well, Europe was already civilized at its height and highly technical when those pyramids were built. They're fairly recent. The pyramids of Egypt, they're 6,000 years old, much older. And yet it's still just the blink of an eye. All of man's glory, the best we can do, whether it be the Tower of Babel all the way to Babylon the Great, it falls apart. It doesn't last. Like the petals of a desert flower, it quickly fades away. Peter says that's how human life is. Blink and it's gone. But when you're born spiritually of imperishable seed, our life lasts. The same birth we share, physical birth we know mom and dad are involved. No matter what science or crazy social engineers try to tell you, it needs a mom and a dad. There's two parents to physical life. In the same way, Scripture reveals to us that we have parents for our spiritual birth as well. First, John says, and Jesus spells this out in his conversation at night with Nicodemus, first you need to be born of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 tell us. Well, this is an answer. I'll go above what it says on the screen. Verse 5, Jesus answered. Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? I'm old. My mother's gone. How am I going to be born again? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water, physical birth, and the spirit. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And this is the Holy Spirit, born of the Spirit. The triune God is all involved in our salvation. Jesus, the Word of God, who gave His life for us on the cross, but it's the Spirit of God. We must be born of the Spirit but also of the word. Further down in John chapter 3, as Jesus and Nicodemus conversed, verse 14, we read, Jesus likens 
what He's going to do for us is to that prefigurement from the Old Testament. Remember as the snakes invade the camp of the children of Israel in the wilderness because of their sin and these poison serpents, the plague of them are afflicting them. They were given something to do, an act of faith. A brazen serpent was lifted up on a pole and all they needed to do was look to that in faith, that serpent, and see the result of their sin up on a pole, those snakes, a brazen serpent, do it in faith and they'd be healed. And Jesus said in the same way, the result of your sin will be raised up. It'll be Jesus nailed to a cross for your sin. And you need to look at the Word of God, Jesus, in faith to be saved. So we must be born of the Spirit. But Jesus also says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Born of the Spirit and born of the Word. Now we often say the Word of God and we're talking about our Bibles as we should. This is God's Word given to us. But the Bible itself, the words of God, always point to the Word of God, to Jesus. And through the words of God telling us the story of Christ, the good news of the Gospel, we put our faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. We put our faith in Jesus. We're born of the Spirit and born of the Word. Your spiritual birth changes everything. Oh, we celebrate our birthdays. Yesterday was my uh, little youngest grandson, Owen's second birthday, two years old. Boy, how time flies. It's all been during the pandemic. He is a bunker baby. And it's going to be hard for him to get used to the real world after things open up. But we trust he'll be able to. We celebrate physical birthdays, but they pale. They disappear in insignificance to your spiritual birth. This which changes everything forever. As Rick Warren, pastor at Saddleback Road, said of our salvation, he says, through salvation, our past has been forgiven. Our present is given meaning and our future is secured. Through salvation, everything is different. We share the same birth, new birth in Christ. We share God's love. And we also are told to grow up, we need a good diet. We need to share the same food. I love that picture. Somebody dining out on the Word of God. We've talked so many times and we need to. We need to daily consume God's Word. We talk about it. We study it. We encourage one another. It changes us. It changes the way we think. The way we act. The way we respond. And by God's grace, it makes us more like Jesus. Being in God's presence. Hearing His Word. You are what you eat. What are you consuming today? Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. to 3. He says, Therefore, reflecting on our new birth, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. 
like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, all of this is working to that point that we can grow up in Jesus. As we get old, we don't always mature. I know some young believers who are very mature. They're growing up every day. They've got a healthy diet. They love with God's love. Never judge a person's spiritual maturity by the odometer on the dashboard of our lives. Our age always doesn't equate to our maturity. By God's grace, though, it does. I love to be with senior saints that reflect upon God's faithfulness. The same food. Peter says, crave pure spiritual milk. Get that other diet. He talks about our pre-Christian outlook on life. The basic word of it in Greek, it, it's, it's a word that means just an evil outlook, malevolent. Malice always has it in for everyone else. And it is an outlook. It's judging everything compared to ourselves. Living your life solely for your own good, for your own pleasure. What Peter does, he spells out the selfish life. Oh, I have great love, great understanding, great empathy for people apart from Christ. They do the best they can. And yet, the best we can isn't good enough. It's essentially selfish. We live inside ourselves. Our mind is locked between our two ears. That's who we are. How do we impact this world? Well, Peter says... We can't live selfishly. We can't be malevolent and envious and scheming. Because that word here in this passage, deceit, it translates in the New International Version, is the Greek word for guile, always scheming to manipulate others for your own benefit. And part of that is slander. You feel to make yourself bigger, you have to tear everybody else down. There's no room for this. Though oftentimes in a church squabble, we look like this. We're acting immature as we did before we were born again. Peter says, don't let the persecution of the pilgrim's life that you're experiencing bring out the worst in you. Turn to Jesus. Let it grow you. Your faith will never grow unless you face testing and adversity. Rid yourself of this selfish focus and feed on God's word. Crave the food, the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Jesus, remember, he did that in his temptation in the desert. He was physically exhausted. Not a bite to eat for over a month. And there he was, weak in the desert. It says in Matthew chapter 4, Verse 3, that the tempter came to him. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our spiritual food. This is more important than the bread we eat. This is what grows us at our heart level. Peter 
talks about the pure food of God's Word, pure spiritual milk. He's using that as a metaphor, the nourishment. We have the picture of that little baby drinking that bottle of milk, how cute it was. We love to see that. I love little ones with an appetite, a healthy appetite. I love to see them taking in that nourishment. They grow so quickly. A similar, a similar metaphor is used by Paul and John separately that we begin with milk. This is all God's word. This is nourishment. The milk is for the little ones, but you need to grow in your diet. They don't quite use the metaphor the same way Peter does. Peter's not insulting everybody, saying you're all just a bunch of baby Christians. You're all a bunch of little milk mouths. I remember my dad had names uh, affectionately, kind of affectionate insults, if you can put it that way, for every level of child. You start out as a little milk mouth. Oh, you little milk mouth. And then you become a crumb crusher. (laughs) Milk mouths become crumb crushers. Oh, I forget there was one other one in there as well, but uh, it'll come to me. But Peter's not calling you a name, saying crave the pure spiritual milk because you're so immature. He's not using it that way. He's just talking about it as nourishment, beautiful nourishment. But the Apostle Paul encourages us, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews encourages us to grow up in our spiritual diet. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, the author writing to the Christians says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're, you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to have matured to where you're not only learning God's word, you're teaching it to others. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant youth have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We're to grow up. I love giving milk to the little ones. I love Kids Club. We're getting the children in our children's club this year, all of them children's Bibles. And it has the new reader's translation. It's God's Word accurately translated, but at a grade three reading level, so our little ones can begin to learn about Jesus. You know, oftentimes we think of elementary faith as those old flannel graph stories. Noah's Ark, Adam and Eve, God created the world. But then we build on that foundation and we grow up in our faith. We mature. We learn about Jesus. We learn about sacrifice. We become more like Him and give ourselves away for the kingdom of God. Again, in Sunday school, we were talking about thinking today, how we live our lives in our thoughts. The whole Sunday school passages were all about anxiety, not living in this imaginary dark world that the media and the fear of this world tries to impose on you. What if? What if this is going to happen? But resting in God's truth. And the fact that in this world of fake news and fake everything else and that there's no absolute truth, they've thrown truth away, that God's Word and Christ are still truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. And the life. Elizabeth Elliot said something beautiful about that. 
former missionary who went home to be with the Lord about six and a half years ago. She said, the word of God, I think of as a straight edge, which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. How true that is. We need God's ruler, His straight edge, to shine into our sometimes chaotic and fearful thoughts to show us His truth. Peter says to his, his readers in those five Roman provinces, God wants you to grow up. Find your unity in Jesus. Because in Jesus, the externals fade away. And we focus not on the externals, but the eternals. We share God's love. We have new birth through the Spirit and the Word. And we feed on God's Word. Grow to be more like Jesus. It's these eternal friends that Jesus has given us the Lord's Supper to remind us of. How much God loved you. The enormous price that His sacrificial love demanded to save Adam's lost and broken race. That Jesus gave Himself freely to the cross on your behalf. As we pray and ask God to speak to us from the message we received today, as we pray, I'll ask the worship team to join me on the platform for our Lord's table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Peter. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom you gave him. We thank you for the fact that your Holy Spirit spoke through him and Silas as they wrote a letter to the Christians in those five Roman provinces. And Lord, that message is fresh and true. It is powerful and will never fade away because it is your words speaking to us about Jesus, the living word of God. So Heavenly Father, as we come to the Lord's table, we're here at Jesus' invitation to do this in remembrance of him. And Father, as we do that, may Jesus, his life, revealed to us in the Bible, be that ruler, that straight edge in our life that we can measure ourselves against and make those adjustments as you take away those things from our former life that hold us back and teach us as pilgrims to travel light as we travel with Jesus. We ask all of this in his precious name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing together the communion song. But before that, I want to remind you that the passage we often read during communion is because the church was lacking unity. Even celebrating the Lord's Supper, they needed to mature. Paul writes to them, the church in Corinth. He says in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? 
Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I invite you at home or here in the sanctuary to take your elements. And as we take the wafer or the element which reminds us of the body of Jesus given freely for us to the cross. Jesus, it says, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. As we take the cup, the cup which recalls the precious blood of the lamb without blemish or defect shed for us as Peter says, not with silver or gold were we redeemed, but with this precious blood. Jesus, wanting to remind us of this, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day, this Lord's day that you have made. Lord, we rejoice. We are glad in it. Thank you, Lord, for the love shown to us in Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for sharing this love and pouring it out into our hearts that it may overflow into the lives of others as we grow up to be more like Jesus. May his love always be evident in our lives. May the unity from that love, Lord, be a lighthouse in a lost and hurting world as people look at Christians and say, look at the love they have for one another. And they see Jesus through us. This is our desire and prayer that it come to pass. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.